This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Brothers and sisters, we gather around this table again to continue to wrestle with the last words of Moses. And tonight we are studying uh, chapter 3. But before we begin our little recap of chapter 2, we will pray. Have a volunteer to lead us in prayer before the Lord. Father, we thank you that your mercies are new every morning. And Father, thank you also this evening that you are with us and willing to teach and guide and show us new things out of your word. So Father, we pray that you would honour us by your spirit and lead us into truth, we pray. Amen. Amen. Alright, so looking at our recap page from last week's study. The last words of Moses, Deuteronomy chapter 2. Standing on the plains of Moab, Moses continues recounting the wanderings of the people through the 38 years in the wilderness. Moses notes how careful God was in directing Israel away from other nations. He didn't uh, make them charge through countries. He did his best to keep avoiding other peoples. Israel was not a conquering army, able to take whatever land they wanted. They were instructed to tread carefully within the territory of Esau. Israel was also commanded to purchase supplies of food and water and pay for those services. This begs the question of why. Why bother purchasing food when the Lord provides manna? Or why seek water when you receive water from the rock that is, according to tradition, following you? Moses notes, and in verse 7, that despite Israel's rebellion, the Lord continues his loving kindness, and during the wandering, Israel lacked for nothing. That's what Moses says. Think about that. How good and great is the mercy of the Lord. That despite all their rebellion, they lacked for nothing. That's very nice. Deuteronomy mentions how God has worked through other nations, other than Israel. Both the descendants of Jacob and Esau have been used by God to displace indigenous peoples. Most of the nations mentioned in this chapter are linked to the Anakim, the giant product of the Nephilim. We are not told how exactly God has related to these nations, Edom, Ammon, and Moab. Just that he has. He has used them to defeat the Rephaim, and supplant their territories. And he has even fought for them as he has fought for Israel. So interestingly, God fights for a non-Israelite tribe. It's also very interesting. Moses notes that they have wandered for 38 years. This number is mentioned again in Scripture, in John 5, verse 5, in relation to the sick man at the pools of Bethesda, where he had been sick for 38 years. During those 38 years of wandering, the hand of God was against them, in verse 15, and yet, at the same time, still blessed and sustained Israel. The good and the bad always track together. During this portion, Moses fails to mention the history of Balak and Balaam, which is recorded in Numbers 22 and 24, and the negative relationship that occurs with Moab. And honestly, we do not know the reason why. At least, not yet. Moses devotes some time to describe the defeat of Sihon, one of the kings of the Amorites. 
Tradition notes that Sihon is a descendant, a grandson actually, of the fallen angel Shamhazai. You find that in the Babylonian Talmud, Nida, page 61, side A. Okay, so in the Talmud, this is a page, side A, side B. That's how they, they do it. Okay. Um, the territory that he and his brother Og maintained rested at the foot of Mount Hermon, where tradition says the Nephilim descended from heaven. They had strayed too far from their roots, perhaps. Also, that is why we see an abundance of giant activity. They had not strayed too far from their roots, that should read. Sorry. Perhaps also, that is why we see an abundance of giant activity in this region that continues its opposition to God. So, in books like Enoch, Jubilees, and Jasher, it describes that the angelic uh, rebellion of Genesis 6, which is not satanic, that's the satanic rebellion is in Genesis 3. Okay, this is another rebellion against God, led by another group of angels, which will get named and everything, and Shem Hazai is one of them. He's also with a guy called Azazel. There's a few little cohorts that uh, come down on Mount Hermon, and then the Mountain of the Many. And there they begin their rebellion, interfering with uh, women and creating these races of giants. Oddly enough, they don't stray too far. They stay in the Hermon region both on this side of the Jordan and on that side of the Jordan. And then God uses the various tribes that are around to get rid of them. What is interesting is Moses declared that God has instructed him to conquer Sihon. That's in verse 24. Yet Moses sent messages of peace. Verse 26. How many times do we do the opposite of what God says? Yet God will always have his way and harden the spirit and heart of Sihon. So battle is joined. I mean, that really is an interesting part of scripture, isn't it? Go out and defeat Sihon. So I sent messages of peace. It's um, quite interesting little verses. Sihon brings his army to Jahaz and is summarily defeated. It's not explained how. Although the numbers account, when you actually read the numbers account, seems to hint at some sort of super intervention and supernatural intervention and fire. There's this little song that uh, the Israelites begin to sing and it mentions this sort of fire that comes out and starts destroying and eating uh, Heshbon. Although in Deuteronomy you don't get that uh, detail. Israel ends the chapter by taking possession of territory outside the Holy Land on the east side of the Jordan. Word begins to spread among the other nations that Israel has defeated a giant. And as God says, fear of the Hebrews begins to take hold in the surrounding peoples. And that sets up our next chapter where we continue uh, the battle against the giants and then begin to apportion out some initial territory. Okay, so we'll begin chapter 3. Next we turned and went up along the road toward Bashan. And Og, king of Bashan, with his whole army, marched out to meet us in battle at Edre. But the Lord said to me, Do not fear him, for I have given him and all his people and his land into your hand. And you shall do to him as you did to Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived at Heshbon. So the Lord our God gave into our hand Og also, the king of Bashan, and all his people. And we struck him down until he had no survivor left. And we took all his cities at that time. There was not a city 
that we did not take from them. Sixty cities, the whole region of Argod, Argod, the kingdom of Og in Bashan. All these cities were fenced with high walls, gates, and guards, beside unwalled towns, the great men. And we utterly destroyed them, as we did to Shihon, king of Heshon, utterly destroying the men, women, and children of every city. <coughs> of all the livestock and the plunder from their cities, we carried off for ourselves. So at that time we took from these two kings of the Amorites the territory east of the Jordan, from the Arnon Gorge as far as Mount Hermon. The Sidonians call Hermon Syria, <coughs> while the Amorites call it Syria. We took all the towns on the plateau and all Gilead and all Bashan as far as Selecta and Idriai, towns of Og's kingdom in Bashan. Only Og, king of Bashan, was left of the remnant of the Raphites. His bed was made of iron and was more than 13 feet long and 6 feet wide. It is still in Rabbah of the Ammonites. When we took possession of the land, I assigned to the tribe of Reuben and Gad, the territory north of the town of Aror, near the river Arnon, and a part of the hill county, country of Gilead, along with its towns. The rest of Gilead and the, all of Bashan, the kingdom of Og, that is, all the region of Argrab, I gave you to the half-tribe of Manasseh. All the portion of Bashan is called the land of Rephaim. Uh, Yair, a descendant of Manasseh, took the whole region of Argov, as far as the border of the Gersherites and the uh, uh, Makathites. It was named after him, so that to this day, Bashan is called Havoth Yair. Yair. To Machia I gave Gilead, and to the Reubenites and the Gadites I gave the territory from Gilead as far as the valley of Arnon, with the middle of the valley as a border, as far over as the river Jabbok, the border of the Ammonites. The Arabah also, with the Jordan, as the border from Kinneret, as far as the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, under the slopes of Pisgah on the east. And I commanded you at that time, saying, The Lord your God hath given you this land to possess it. You shall pass over on before your brethren, the children of Israel, all that are mixed with the poor. But your wives, your little ones, and your livestock, I know that you have much livestock, shall stay in your cities, which I have given you. Until the Lord gives rest to all your people, as he has for you, and they too have taken over the land that the Lord your God is giving them across the Jordan. After that, each of you may go back to the possessions that I have given you. At that time I commanded Joshua, You have seen with your own eyes all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. 
the Lord will do the same to all the kingdoms over there where you are going. You shall not fear them, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. At that time, I pleaded with the Lord. O Sovereign Lord, you have begun to show to your servant your greatness and your strong hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do the deeds and mighty works you do? Let me cross the river Jordan, Lord, and see the fertile land on the other side, the beautiful hill county, country, and the Lebanon mountains. But the Lord was angry with me because of you, and I would not listen, and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, Enough from you. Do not speak to me this matter again. Go up to the top of Pisgah and look west and north south and east. Look at the land with your own eyes, since you are not going to cross this Jordan. But charge Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he shall go over at the head of this people, and he shall put them in possession of the land that you shall see. So we remained in the valley opposite Gethfield. Alright. So is there any any uh, thing there that stands out or any questions? My initial one when I was reading this was, why do you go into so much detail with a group of people who are standing up in the plains of Moab about to cross into the Jordan? I mean, they must have been absolutely bored rigid. Going, yes, I know we've got these cities. Oh my gosh, is that what we call it these days? <laughs> but for some reason, it's part of his speech. I mean, he could have just said, remember those two real big guys? We beat them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, beat all those guys over there too. But it was quite detailed. I mean, it's a, it's a faith builder for them in that sense. In that even sense, though, yeah. Even, if it, even though it's only happened recently and they wouldn't have forgotten it. But maybe they needed to hear it. I mean, all ages. Yeah. Maybe needed to hear the canonical version from Moses rather than the exaggerated version. From everybody from, else, yeah. You know, whoever. Yeah. It's rough. It's what? It's for us. Aha, there you go, could be. Yeah, Moses is talking to another generation, not necessarily the one standing in front of him. It's possible. Yeah. I mean, for the people that are there, any soldier needs a good pep talk, right? It's always good to go over your how many dragons you've slain before you've got to go out and fight some more. Um, yeah. One thing I've not really noticed before is that in, in the previous chapter and this chapter, there's several sections which are in brackets, in parentheses. And it looks like maybe people have come along after, and I think I need to explain this. Yeah, yep, I had to check that as well and sort of look around. And um, There are some Hebrew manuscripts that show the redactor hand, where they raise the text up a bit. Um, so then... Uh, the English guys come along and put those in brackets or parentheses or they put a little footnote or something, um, which is interesting that that, that happens. So uh, have they got those texts as old as like Dead Sea Scrolls or are they later? Um, that's a good question. I don't know. Yeah, it would ha No, it'll have to be later. And the reason is because up, up until the Dead Sea Scrolls, we didn't have late scrolls. I think we only had what, Codex... Uh, Sinaiticus is it the, the latest, earliest we had? 
Leningrad Codex. The LFO Codex. LFO Codex, yeah. yeah. And so they were, they're, and they're actually still pretty recent in yeah. terms of history. So, and we have every every person who writes out a scroll does the same thing today, to this day. Right? They, they measure the same gaps that are in between each sentence, and when there are words that are raised, they do exactly the same thing. They will copy it identically. And so when you get to uh, Judges, and it'll say um, the sons of Moses, you will see the nun added. No one ever says Menashe, it always says Moshe with a nun at the top, knowing that an editor had come in and said, oh, don't like the idea that Moshe is doing this, we'll call him Manasseh instead. So they added a, 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 a so the, it's good that our, the copyists note that for us so that we can come along and go, I see what you're trying to do, yeah. naughty. But, uh, okay. All right, so let's have a look at the text. You know, I was guessing when I said it for us. You were guessing? Of course. <laughs> That's awesome. So, if it is for us, then what's the point? Well, that's a good question. Yeah, what can we learn? Nothing's easy. <laughs> well, I think... Yeah. Nothing just happens. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you read these sentences, the Lord fights for you, and you wonder if some bright spark once said, okay, um, why don't you just stop them all from breathing? And we'll walk in. And, you know, but that's, you know, the Lord fights for you. How? I mean, uh... <clears throat> Why do you do it this way? There are lots of reasons, lots of good questions. Why does God do certain things and why are certain things not done? And each of those is a good learning experience for us. Um, another thing I noticed this week is how many times it talks about how that God gave, you know, it's just over and over again. Or Moses, and I think he's working through inspiration when he says, I gave, you know. Mm -hmm. But it's just, that just amazes me. You know, it's just everything's a gift from God. It's grace in the end, and it's always about God giving. And also, uh, this theme all through the Bible, He commands them, I think a couple of times, please, in this chapter, do not be afraid. Hmm. That's frequently found on our, the lips of our Lord and yep. the Apostle Paul or any of the prophets. You know, they're always, God's always telling people, do not be afraid. Do we listen? I mean, here's Moses telling Joshua, do not be afraid. And you'd think, okay, great, good. You know, you've defeated a couple of giants. You're going to do the same to those guys over there. Great. That's not how Joshua starts, is it? First two chapters. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Even gets an angelic visitor. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. No. Of course don't listen. Right. <laughs> yeah. Keep saying it. Yeah. Yeah. As David loves to remind us, the most common commandment in the Bible is to remember. Right. Okay. So after defeating uh, Sihon and getting that big uh, piece of his territory, we have to go beat his brother. Okay, so according to tradition, Og, Sihon and Og are brothers. So we next we turned and went uh, up along the road toward Bashan, and Og, king of Bashan, with his whole army, marched out to meet us in the battle at Edre. So just like they did with Sihon, they give us the name of the battle place. Why would they need to do that? It's obviously in recent memory for them okay 
So this uh, Og, the tradition is that uh, he and his brother are descendants from this angel, and uh, they um, survived the flood and maintained a presence uh, on the heights or in and around the, the, the Mount Hermon, including its foothills. And so they, when they capture his, this territory, they will capture portions of uh, the land up until the uh, uh, foothills of Mount Hermon today, um, what's in present-day Syria. Um, and, uh, and it even gives, oddly enough, the dimensions of his bed, uh, which somehow became some sort of like an icon of, uh, we'll hold this as a war trophy uh, in Rabbah. Um, anyone know where Rabbah is today? Amman? Correct, yes. It's, the, uh, it's uh, uh, Amman today, and uh, Rabbah was one of the capital, was the capital city of Amman. Yep, and so he's stayed, and uh, and there is an interesting, uh, there is actually some fortifications and ruins that date back to the Israelite period, in 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 Rabbah, which which you can go and have a look at if you're ever in Jordan, um, and they were captured by. Does anyone know who captured them? Joab, nephew of David, he was up there fighting and capturing Rabbah, and he even writes back to David, who's hanging out in Jerusalem. You really should come here and do this yourself, because I'm getting all the fame, you know. <laughs> and uh, you know, I'm about to go sleep on a giant's bed. You know, you should probably come and do that. Um, uh, whether David did or not is, is uh, I think I'm not quite sure what it says in the text. Anyway, so Og has come for revenge. Right? This is the Middle East. Yes, if uh, someone kills your brother, what do you have to do? An eye for an eye. Eye for an eye. Uh, the redeemer, the goel, the, the kinsman redeemer, is an, a, a concept both alive and well in both the tribes of Jacob and Esau. Okay? Uh, so Og has to come and fight. Uh, the Lord said to me in verse 2, uh, says Moses, Do not be afraid of him. Okay? Now, why would they be afraid of him? They've just killed his brother. That's right. <laughs> yes. And it's true. Even though we might have um, overcome a difficulty, the next difficulty remains, guess what? Difficult. Does it not? And so, yes. And so even though we know the Lord has done wonderful things for us, as soon as we see the task ahead of us and, the, and the, how big it is, it does look daunting. It is not easy for us to turn around and just say, I shall trust in the Lord. And so the Lord whispers those voices to us in many ways. Here, it's quite direct. Do not be afraid of him, for I have delivered him into your hands, along with his whole army and his land. Do to him what you did to Sihon, king of the Amorim, and who reigned in Heshbon. Okay, and so uh, battle is joined. The Lord our God, in verse 3, gave into our hands Og, the king of Bashan, and all his army. So after all this great adventure that he's had, uh, being uh, the descendant of, a, of an angel, and large, and ruling and reigning, and maybe even surviving the flood, depending if you uh, consider those traditions valid, uh, he gets struck down by uh, a wandering tribe of Jews. They struck him down and... Leave how many people left? None. And how many people did they kill? I mean, it's not pleasant reading, but it's 
part of history. Everyone. Which is how many? Lot 60 cities plus cities and towns. I mean, that is a massive slaughter. Okay, so ponder then the psychological uh, trauma that that is for those soldiers. It's not easy. No, no soldier uh, says it's easy to run around and kill people. But think what these guys are doing. Are they killing just people with spears? Who else are they killing? Correct. And that is psychologically damaging on any level. And, uh, and, and it's in the modern day, you will often get people say, uh, especially around here, um, you know, we should charge into Gaza and, and, and take out Hamas. And you think, there's a reason why Netanyahu actually really doesn't like sending in soldiers into Gaza. Have a guess why. Yep, he has to start. As soon as he says go in, he starts writing letters. Dear ma'am, I'm really sorry that your son or daughter had to die. Oh, and by the way, we killed several thousand of their sons and daughters. I mean, it's just not pleasant. Um, And anybody's book. Uh, But here, it was rough stuff. This uh, 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 This was an extermination. You can also see why it was difficult. I mean, the uh, nations inside the Promised Land were afraid as well because they were defeating some powerful nations and what were they doing to them as well? Yep. So they were afraid as well. And what was Moses' first desire? Go kill Sihon. What does he do? Peace. Peace. Now you can see, psychologically see why. Even though God has said, go in and wipe them out. And it's like, well, you know, that's really tough. To to go in and start killing women and children and babies and stuff. Maybe I'll try peace. Maybe God will be happy with that. And you can see perhaps why he did it. I I can understand him wanting to... uh, The idea of going in, making approaches for peace. Mm -hmm. is not unreasonable because it then demonstrates that they want to have war. I mean, they are not intending to make peace. Mm-hmm. So it shows that, um, well, they could take the position that the Israelites didn't start it. You know, right. That they, we didn't part the first shot. They were, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah I, I don't feel too critical about the fact that part of the strategy was to offer peace, mm-hmm. knowing that actually this is almost certainly going to be Going to fail, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it wasn't part of the strategy because God didn't say make try to make peace and then kill everybody. <laughs> right. Okay. But you can see why Moses on his side. Yeah. Could, one he's could not be a warrior. right. Well, he's a shepherd. Well, he's become one. He's when, become a warrior. As a prince of Egypt, he probably was trained in military war too. Um, I think most of their princes did all of that. Pagan religion, military tactics. How to beat up slaves. He's probably got a good. He's probably got a quite a good classical education, really. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he's he's quite smart, and so he could be doing the the very clever. Uh, I'll offer peace, and there's also the other option. He could be psychologically going, you know, I don't wiping out people just isn't pleasant. You know, who are we to do that? We're not very good at it. Um, and because he chose to offer peace, right? God chose to harden. To harden, yes. Heart, so that he would go out. Yep, and it's interesting. I'll harden his spirit and his heart. Nefesh belev. Okay, I'll I'll get him both in whatever. 
it, I think, too, you know, God's Word sometimes hardens people's hearts. So, I mean, you go for peace, you give them good news, and then that hardens their hearts, they don't repent, you know. And it's also the same, we, we use the same strategy in the church as someone has committed egregious sins. We don't want to disfellowship them. We're trying to make peace, yep. trying to gain repentance. But then at the end, sometimes, if there's no repentance, we... You have to. Yeah. yeah, you have to. Yep. So here we capture a, a very large number uh, of cities and quite a large region. Um, in verse 5, all these cities were fortified with high walls, with gates and bars, and they were also a great many of unwalled villages. Okay, the, uh, the note again of high walls, which is what you see in archaeology, is that in the early Bronze Age period, this period, the fortification, um, archaeological fortification structures were massive. Okay, probably because they were trying to defend themselves against giants. Okay, we completely destroyed them in verse 6. Just as we had done with Sihon, king of Heshbon, destroying every city, men, women, and children. And yeah, uh, wonder why they got to put it there, but they do. Okay, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a thing. It's somehow it's a learning curve both for them and for us. But all the livestock and the plunder from their cities we carried off for ourselves. And there are some uh, portions in Leviticus, and I think there might even be some portions in Numbers about what you do with war booty. And uh, um, I'm not quite sure where the verses are, but it describes how much you give to the soldier that fights, but also how much you give to the soldier who stayed behind and guarded. He has to get his share too, because his job was actually still valuable. Somebody had to guard the horses, right? Somebody had to go guard the houses in case a thief came in. And, uh, and so these guys, there's this, there's this rules about how you divvy up uh, the shalal, the war booty. You remember David had this problem when his wife, all the wives and all of them were captured at one time and he had to go, you know, defeat um, the um, Amalekites yep. um, and take back, well, yep. two of them, 200 of the soldiers were too tired to go on. Right. And the other 400 complains that they shouldn't get anything. They right. They the rest away. And he and David disagreed with them. Yeah, because there is a, there is a, um, um, Several verses in the Torah that describe you have to give those soldiers their stuff too. Because um, armies fight as units. Yes, and, uh, and that includes the guy who's not in the front line. He's still fighting. Right? That raises an interesting uh, question. It says also that when David did that, that established precedent. Hmm. And so if that established a precedent, where did David get that? Did he make it up, or did he get it from here? Should have been in the in the in the Torah, because the Maccabees also do the same thing. They take some of the verses from the Torah, and they in their book, they have a description of how they divvy up uh, Maccabean war booty from the Greeks, uh, and they divvy it up according to the Torah. So. All right, but we'll have a look. I'll I'll go uh, a look at how how you divvy up that stuff. Uh, for next week. So at that time, we in verse eight, uh, eight. So we took from these two kings of the uh, Amorites. Okay, these these the Amorim from last week were um, part of the race of giants, or might have been getting a little smaller um, with inter intermingling, but still known even by tribes that 
that don't speak Hebrew. So in Ugaritic and, um, and, and languages like that, they mention how large the Amaru are. So they take from their, their kings the territory east of the Jordan, from the Arnon Gorge as far as Mount Hermon. Okay, so we're all the way up into parts of Syria now. Hermon, and then you get these, this little, little footnote. The, somebody's come along and added it in. Hermon is called Syrion by the Sidonians and the Amorites who are still around. Okay, they seem to be quite prolific. Okay, call it uh, Sinir. They took all the towns on the plateau and all Gilead and all Bashan as far as uh, Seleka and Edri, towns of Og's kingdom in Bashan. And then you get again the little uh, periscope, the little addition. Uh, Og, king of Bashan, was the last of the Rephaim. Okay, the Rephaim, um, another sort of way of describing these uh, remnant of the, fall, the product of the fallen angels. Emek Rephaim. In Jerusalem, the Valley of the Giants, Giants, uh, ghosts. ghosts, yeah, ghosts, giants, or some sort of uh, figure like that, um, and then it describes his bed. His bed is decorated with iron. It's more than nine cubits long and four cubits wide. And, and by the way, you can still see it in Rabbi, if you don't believe me. Right? A nice little addition they throw in there. <laughs> okay, um, they, the the they shouldn't shock us. Uh, the the Torah does show, the first five books do, does show a redactor. Okay, just like in Genesis, Abraham travels from Dan to Beersheba. What's the problem with that sentence? Dan wasn't alive. That's right. So, so you know, um, and, uh, and so it's okay. That doesn't make it not Bible. That doesn't make it not inspired. That does not make Prophecy. it... <laughs> yeah, you can just imagine. Dan to Beersheba. Why do you call it Dan? It's a, it's a vision I've had. <laughs> You'll get it in a, in, a, in a couple hundred years, don't worry. <laughs> it's, yeah. But, but more, more likely, and remember, the text that we have, the, the Torah scrolls, are in what sort of Hebrew? They're in Persian script. What, what sort of Hebrew does David speak? Old biblical Hebrew. doesn't look anything like it. So all the Torah scrolls that we've got right now are copies from a previous Hebrew, which is slightly different. So it's, it's, it'd be very careful when thinking like, okay, I remember being in many synagogues, and it's because it's part of the synagogue service in the Siddur. You hold up the Torah scroll, and what do they say? This is the, this is the Torah that, God, that uh, Moses received on Mount Sinai. And you can almost go... Uh, no, it's not. <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty good copy. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just not possible. You don't have the, it's different text, okay? And, uh, and that's just honest. And that's okay. That doesn't mean it's not true. It just means that that old biblical Hebrew, for whatever reason, and that includes God, decided that's not the way we're going to continue the transmission of my language. My language will eventually go into Persian Hebrew. Wonderful. It's nice-looking Hebrew. Have you ever tried to read Old Biblical Hebrew? Have you ever seen it? Yeah. It's unbelievably complicated. You've got the ones that are yeah. like 700 BC, like in the inscription in the Siloam Tunnel. Yes. Which is fairly clear that there's a few other examples of that. But then there's an ostracon from about 1000 BC found at Kilakaya, 
which is really a really strange game. So that's 200 years before, mm -hmm. and it's changed enormously again. Yes. And that's quite, I mean, people had to work really hard to translate they that did. bit of information on that pottery. Correct. Yeah. So what language did Abraham speak? I'm going with Chaldean. <laughs> yeah. But somehow he, had, he manages to communicate, because in Genesis it says he was in Canaan and he spoke the language of the Canaanites, whatever that was. And then his family go to Egypt, where they spend the next 430 years. So when they come out of Egypt, what language are they speaking? I mean, everybody goes, Hebrew! Well, where'd they get that from then? And it, it's a melding and a blend. And so they're bringing in... Uh, and that's what old biblical Hebrew looks like. It looks very different from the Hebrew we're speaking, looking today. Okay, um, and so you have a redactor, and you see it. That's okay. It's not a problem. That does not mean it is not a God-breathed uh, text. Um, I might say something about this iron. Um, I think the Philistines were powerful mainly because they had iron. They had iron, Correct. you know, swords and chariots and I think David kind of stole that technology when he was living over there for a bit. And, um, but I think it's interesting that they want to point out that this was made of iron, which is really interesting. Really this, rare. At, yeah. this time. at this time period, yes, because there's no way the Israelites had this stuff. No, not right. at this time. Yeah. yeah. And I also think it's interesting that they like to, uh, that um, you're seeing pieces around, I guess, the ancient world, and you could go and see things like here's the ancient. You know, when you go over to this city, you mm -hmm. see the bed of Og sometime, you know. Right. People had, you know, yep. we do that today. Yes. And so I guess they were still doing it back then, according yep. to this redaction. So yep. where in Amman is it? Um, okay. Yeah, or I'll probably look it up. Yep, there's a valley bit. Sorry? Bed isn't there now. Uh, no, the bed is not there anymore. Okay. No. <laughs> no. There, what, what is there is um, uh, some Israelite ruined uh, fortifications. And uh, so the Israelites captured it, and then they built their fortifications. Is it where the citadel is right now? In Um I don't know. Okay. So it was, it was at night, I was there for a synod, and uh, the local priest took us for a walk. Yeah. So I just was following the crowd. And then we stopped in this sort of uh, what looked like a wadi, and you have these big stones that sort of are appearing out of the ground. And I was like, oh, hang on. Where? Is it close to the amphitheater? I didn't see an amphitheater. Okay. And, uh, and then he began to explain, and he said, this is Rabat, where you're standing. I was like, oh, wow, look at it. And, uh, yeah. and there's plaques, there's signs, because uh, Israelis go and visit. Well, they used to when we had a peace deal. We still have a peace deal with Jordan, but going there, Israelis don't go there in the numbers like they used to. But they used to. And so um, there were places for them to go and get guided. I think they mainly go to Petra. They mainly and go to Petra. Where, uh, Jerash. Jerash also, but uh, I think Aaron is, is the tomb of Aaron. It's up the top, just, yep. Just nearby Petra. Near yeah. Petra. Yeah. yeah. Take a little donkey ride up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, not Nebo. That's where Moses. Moses. Well, yeah. that's at Potentially. Least. Yeah. At the end of this chapter. Yeah. Somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, verse 12, of the land that we took over at that time, and here we go, we get the beginning, the division uh, portion. Okay. Um, I gave the Reubenites and Gadites uh, the territory of uh, Aror, 
Aurora or by the Arnon Gorge, including the half the hill country of Gilead together with its towns. The rest of Gilead and also all of Bashan, the kingdom of Og, I gave to the half-tribe of Menashe. The whole region of Argov in Bashan used to be known as a land of the Rephaites. Okay, this is a later um, little insight, but still holding on to a remez of the Rephaim, which would have been more apt had Moses been talking about it directly, not later. Because a later redactor doesn't have any of those sort of giants. Because it wiped them all out. Okay. And uh, we get that uh, Yair, a descendant of Manasseh, took the whole region of Argov as far as the border of the Gershurites and the Ma'akathites. And it was named after him. So that to this day, Bashan is called Havot Yair. And I gave Gilead to uh, Makir. But to the Reubenites and the Gadites, I gave the territory extending Gilead down to uh, Arnon Gorge, the middle of the gorge being the border of the Jabbok River, which is the border of the Ammonites. It's like quite long details, yeah? Its western border was the Jordan uh, in the Arava, from the Kinneret, okay, to the Sea of the Arava, that is the Dead Sea. And the Kinneret is what we today call the Sea of Galilee, okay? Kinneret uh, is, is one of the names of a Canaanite goddess. It's named after, uh, it's, not, it's not named, uh, it, some people think it's like Kinor, which is a harp, because it's the, the, the Galilee's ship of a harp, but it's actually a Canaanite goddess. And, uh, and as well as going down to the Dead Sea and the slopes of the Pisgah. Now if you actually have a look at Numbers 32, which is the parallel reading, okay, um, you get... Moses has really shortened the, uh, the story here. Mm-hmm. Um, in Numbers 32, we read that the Reubenites and the Gadites, who had very large herds and flocks, saw that the lands of Jazza and, uh, and Gilead were suitable for livestock. So they came to Moses and uh, Eleazar the priest and the leaders of the community and said, Atrot, Dibon, Yazar, Nimrah, Heshbon, Elile, Sebam, Nebo, and beyond the land the Lord subdued before the people of Israel. Notice what they just said, that, that the Lord has subdued. Okay. Right, so because in Numbers you get a little more of a hint that there was supernatural intervention in the battle. In Deuteronomy, it tends to be more, you guys did it. But in Numbers, tends to be a little bit more like, well, actually the Lord smashed them with supernatural, in, in, including the song being more like fire. Okay, well, the land is suitable for livestock, and your servants have livestock. And we've just made, you know, two plus two, and look what we've come up with. If we have found favor in your eyes, they said, let this land be given to your servants as our possession. Do not make us cross the Jordan. Okay, so what does this encounter seem to suggest so they capture the, ter- the, the, the they beat up Sihon and Og God wanted these giants out the picture and he was going to use Israelite tribes and non-Israelite tribes get it done right? and then we've captured it now if, if Reuben and Gad had not come to Moses and asked this what would have happened Correct. But they don't. 
before they're doing this, they actually come to him and say, kind of notice that the, where we are, it's really good for cows, and we've got cows, and um, what do you think? <laughs> we'll just, they're weary. Yeah, yeah. Fighting. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll just we'll just stay here. And so it the this this initial bit in numbers has a has a very strong suggestion that says that the 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 territorial allotments on the east side were not the first part first thought plan. Rather, they came out sort of a mm, all right. You know, we're all supposed to be over there, but oh, we'll take a bit of this. It's fine. And so Moses said to the, the Gadites and Rubites, should your fellow Israelites go to war while you sit here? Hey, you know, we're all supposed to go over there. Why do you discourage the Israelites from crossing over into the land the Lord has given them? As opposed to what has given you. This is what your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to, 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 to look over the land. After they went up from the valley of Gol and viewed the land, they discouraged the Israelites from entering the land the Lord your God has given them. And uh, and so you get this this uh, um, uh, chastisement by by Moses saying you know you just you, you're 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 making the the tri- other tribes weak. So what is his suggestion? What's or his request? Command. Who has to go over and fight? Men fighting. Right. And so, what is the job of all of the tribes of Israel? To take the land. Right. Now, one tribe couldn't. Which one were they? Dan. Dan couldn't occupy, capture his territory. Whose fault is that? Go on. You can say the Danites, uh, and maybe partly Samson. But But who else? rest of the tribes didn't help. Correct. So like one, one, you, you often get a, a, a stream of tradition that sort of says, Dan, Dan couldn't capture his territory. Boo-hoo, Dan. Dan went up north, did bad. They're so bad. Dan's so bad. We're, just, we're not even going to include him in prophecy anymore. And yet, what did Moses say to Reuben and Gad and Manasseh? You'll go over and fight. You will not go back until you've got all of their territory. No, they did. So you cannot just blame Dan. You blame everyone. And that includes Judah. That includes Benjamin. That includes Ephraim. They all didn't help Dan get their territory. Um, and, uh, and so it's, you, you can, it's, it was everybody's job to work as a group. Now, a few of them had looked out and got, got some territory and, uh, and had made the, the theological conclusion that uh, we've defeated these giants. God wanted us to do that. We have captured their territory. It's ours now. I mean, it's going to be to the Euphrates anyway, right? Isn't that what we said in chapter 1? So, um, so, but it seemed to be an issue in, in numbers, but not so in uh, Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy, we skip uh, that little bit. By the way, we've left, left Balak and Balaam completely behind um, in both encounters of Og and Sihon. We don't mention the next following chapters in Numbers. Just skip that dude. Um, maybe because the th- you have to just start making some good theological questions as to who is Balaam, why is God talking to him, why is he even calling God Yahweh, uh, and if he's Jewish, because only prophets can be Jewish, right? 
what's he doing with Moab? And if he's not Jewish, why is God talking to him? And there's all kinds of issues. And so it might just be better not to talk about it. But you can't stop because you've still got the book of Numbers. So even though Moses is giving you an abridged version, you've still got the whole book on the other side. Now, I think Moses is really angry here when he's talking to them because I really think he thinks this is history repeating itself. I've been with these people for 40 years mm-hmm. and they're about to pull the same thing again, you know. Yeah. And the other thing is if you brought up the Danites, you know, they these two and a half tribes showed a lot of faith by leaving their women and children behind and they're crossing the Jordan to fight. Yeah. I mean, their, their women and children are defenseless over there in the east. You know, well, so. this is when the word all doesn't actually mean all. Like, it'll say, uh, all the people went down to Mitzpeh to go um, be with the Lord. And that's just not possible. I mean, you're saying that everyone left the Golan, or they left all of their villages and all of their towns, and they just all migrated south for six months and then came back, and no one came in and stole their stuff. Uh, or all of David's army went out to battle. He left no one guarding his harem. He left no one guarding the ports. He left no one guarding the north. Uh, no. All means many. Yeah, but if they killed everybody on the east side, yeah. all the women and children. Yeah. So they had, There's nobody left to take their stuff. Well, the whole idea of, of splitting up your war booty is the guy that is left to guard, that's still a very important job. Somebody's got to do it. And even the Lord says, I'm not going to count that guy as less of a soldier than the other hero. Give him his share. He did a valuable job. When you come home, you've discovered that your wife is still there. Your kids haven't been stolen. You know, your, your cattle have absolutely now multiplied and had more kids. So you're doing great. Um, uh, and uh, so, yeah. But but the but the but the, the the tribes should have given a goodly portion of soldiers to go in and and help Judah take Judah, help Dan take Dan, help Ephraim take Ephraim. Because uh, they've also got a special job that they've got to do. What every year they've got to go to a special spot in Ephraim. Where is it? Shiloh, right? So they got They got to go over there too. Right, so they're, they're actually, even though they're on the east side of the Jordan, they still have a connection to the west side, even if it is just spiritual. All right, so where are we? Oh, uh, verse 18. So now, now Moses, yes, as part of his anger, but he's also going to give them a command because he acquiesces to their uh, request. What could he have said? No. Yes, that's right. He said, yeah, he said, no. Uh, that's, we're not supposed to have this stuff, even though he did say that God had given us this stuff and we had to take possession of it. So it would imply that perhaps somebody going to live there. Okay. So I command you at this time, uh, the Lord your God has given you this land to take possession of it. So the it becomes actually now, uh, in numbers, it's a request by a human in Deuteronomy, it's given by divine will. Okay. Uh, all of, but all your able-bodied men armed for battle must cross over ahead of the other Israelites. Okay, so which part of the army are we fighting in here? 
We're fighting in the van. We're fighting in the front. Right? Uh, which part of the battle is the most dangerous? Yes. Okay, so it's a case of, you. yeah, sure, you can have territory first, but guess who's first in the battle? Do you still want the land? Obviously, it was good because they took it. However, your wives, your children, your livestock, and I know how much you have livestock, may stay in the town. I mean, that's almost like a little um, dig, isn't it? Because that was the request at the beginning in Numbers. Hey, we've got cows. This area looks good for cows. Moses is like, yeah, I really know. You've got cows. I get it. Um, and you, but you can't come back until the Lord gives rest to your fellow Israelites, just as he has for you. And they too take uh, over the land that the Lord your God is giving them across the Jordan. Unfortunately, this they, they don't do. It seems like this is the land that Lot took when, hmm. when uh, Abraham gave him his choice and he said he'd take that one yeah. across the Jordan because it was good for his cattle. So it seems like it's the same. It's uh, something about it. was further south. He's in Moab, south. We're, we're, we're higher up now. Um, okay. So we're, 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 remember, God said we can't touch Moab on this trip. Okay? Later on, we will get him. Okay? We can't touch Edom. Obadiah says, by the time you get to the prophet of Obadiah, or Vajia, let's wipe out Edom and take his stuff. Okay? But for now, we couldn't do it. Esau, can't touch his stuff. Okay? These, are, these tribes I've been, I'm on, I've been working with these guys. We've been clearing out the... The giants for me, and their territory is theirs. But so we take a bit higher north. Okay. So Sodom and Gomorrah is south. South. It's probably yeah, south of the Dead Sea on the east side, probably. Yes. Yeah. Maybe the Dead Sea. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, something. That might be a lot yeah. of sulfur there. there. Actually, there is, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, verse 21. Now um, uh, Moses describes, uh, gives encouragement to Joshua because obviously he, he needs it. Although Joshua has actually been fighting a few nations now and he has seen the Lord do some pretty amazing stuff and yet still needs encouragement. And probably that's a good lesson for us and ourselves. So at that time I commanded Joshua, you have seen with your own eyes all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. The Lord will do the same to all the kingdoms over there where you are going. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. And uh, again, never says exactly how the Lord will fight or even how he has fought in the past, just that he will. Uh, and yet the first couple of chapters of Joshua will still find him nervous about the whole expedition. And then now Moses would like to plead his case with the Lord because he'd like to really come in. So he pleads with the Lord. And there's a bit of self-disclosure here in front of Israel. Sovereign Lord, you've begun to show to your servant your greatness and your strong hand. What is that sentence? Uh, when When actually did the Lord begin to show his greatness and Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. You feel like say he's been doing it a while now, boss. Yeah. <laughs> you have begun. So, oh my gosh. What else do I have to do for this kid? You know. <laughs> I, it's like okay. 
God has been doing amazing things. The plagues, the Red Sea, the burning bush, the manna, the, the clothes, the fire, the tabernacle, the, the talking. He's been talking to God. Now, that's got to be an amazing sight, doesn't it? Moses is a good negotiator. Yeah, isn't he just? You've like, begun yeah. to show me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. Talking about the promise to Abraham that now this time has come and basically these years you've begun to do these great things. Could be. Could be. This is just the, the beginning. You know that yeah. those it constant. All is the beginning. Right. Of this, yeah. These promises. Yeah, like it's the beginning of the end. It just keeps going. You know, that's quite a long time. So he's begun. Uh, he, he could be doing the negotiating thing or whatever. <laughs> Uh, for what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do the deeds and mighty works you do? Okay. Now, one of the things that you're going to find uh, as we go through Deuteronomy, as opposed to the other four books of the Torah, is the, perpet- the, 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 the constant reference to there is actually only one God. The first four books, it is quite possible to come to the conclusion that there are multiple powers up there. But your God will be Adonai. You will not have other gods, as opposed to saying there's only one God. But once you get to Deuteronomy, that's what you'll get. You'll get the there actually is only one God. It's beginning to do it. You'll get to those statements a little bit later on, but Deuteronomy will be the book that makes it very clear uh, no, there's nobody else up there. I need to just touch this up from the other four books. There's a statement in Exodus 15 when they come through the See, and who is like unto you, O Lord, Lord amongst the gods? Yeah. Fearful and praises, doing wonders. Correct. Yeah. And there's. It expresses it like that. Yeah. Lord amongst the gods. Yep. You know, Moses was a great man of prayer, and uh, he's one of the, I think, maybe the greatest leader, world leader the world's ever known. Uh, Maybe not the greatest king, maybe David is the greatest king, but maybe the greatest leader, because who did. What Moses did, I mean, there, there's just nothing to compare to what Moses did, in my opinion. But, yeah. but anyway, um, he, he was a great man of prayer and he pleaded with God. I really, this really strikes home to me. Because Jesus says, you know, don't give up, just keep knocking on the door. And, and God, you know, sometimes he, he's got a tender heart. He'll give us what we, and I don't quit. There's things I pray for. I, I pray for them every day. I'm not going to quit praying for them until... Somehow the Lord tells me not to, but, you know, Moses was told by God to stop. Yep. It's pretty interesting. Yes, in this, in this one, is, <laughs> Moses says, I've had enough of your brain. Yeah. Yeah. But he has been diligent at it. Yeah. Yes, which is, a, which is a good... What you're saying, I think, is a very good lesson. Yeah. I think also with that, uh, you have begun to show there's a lot of faith there. He's saying, I know this is just... There's much more you can do. And also, I think that uh, alluding to the, the part where the, just before the, the, when the golden calf, when they did that, mm-hmm. then a guy got really mad and said, these are your people. And then Moses said, no, no, it's your people. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's, a, there's a kind of uh, a transition, it seems to me, where Moses begins to accept some ownership. Of the people? And, Mm. And so there's there's uh, there's a real learning curve for Moses that 
he's accepting leadership for these people. He's doing it for God, and God is teaching him, I think. So, in that, there's, uh, you have begun to show me. And there's, yeah, it's been going on for some time, and I'm beginning to learn some of these things, but you haven't shown me everything yet. There's a lot more. Yeah. There's faith. Yeah, and what's one of the things he wants to see? What's one of the things he wants to see? He wants to see the promised land. Yeah, I mean, he can see lots of stuff. I mean, he's now he's now sitting and standing in it, isn't he? I mean, he can see it. Okay, the the he's talking. He, Moses is talking. I want to go see that land, right? The land that you've promised. Or what land's he standing on? So what does that suggest? When you get to heaven, you're not going to see. No. What land is he standing on? Right. What land is he standing on? He's standing on captured territory, which is now the inheritance of Israel. So technically, he's in the promised land. I mean, he's not. He's, not, he's only on the east side of the Jordan. He's, he is considering, and I think Moses considered, the west part of the west side of the Jordan to be the promised land. Yeah. Although God, or that little slight one-sentence theological bit, seems to imply that uh, there's parts of the east bank that are promised as well. In which case, you're in it, Moses. But for him, that's not the bit that's the bit. I want to see that. The bit that you told me we were going to. Especially, which particular mountain would he like to see? Zion. Yeah. I'd like, I'd like to see where you're going to build your, your temple. I want to see where you started creation. I want to see where Adam's buried. I want to see the, the Garden of Eden. You know, I want to, I want to, I want to go... Yeah, the, the tradition is the Temple Mountains, the... Garden of Eden. I want to see that spot. I want to see the place where you'll make your name great, where the Messiah will come in. You know, this this land's good too, <laughs> especially if I've got cows. But uh, I'd really like to go that side. In a way, God did answer Right, because of course you get the transfiguration scene where, yeah. for a brief moment, he technically is in it. If if you think it's in Mount Tabor, uh, although it's probably more likely it was Mount Hermon. Yeah. Yeah, I so think it's sad. I think it's kind of you know I, I feel badly for Moses. Uh, I, I know family. I've got some neighbors that they wanted a boy. They had seven girls before they had a boy, and she died giving birth to the boy. No way. Yeah, and I mean it's like you feel so badly for people like that. Here's a woman raising all these children. They wanted a boy so badly they kept having kids. You know. Yeah. And it's and I think of Moses and people like that who. Don't get to realize the dream. The yeah. Not the way they wanted to realize it. Yeah. What is it about? No, you don't get. Yeah. 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 Okay. So he's pleading with the Lord. Let me go over and see this good land uh, beyond the Jordan, that fine hill country, and the Lebanon. Okay, because there's part, lower parts of the Lebanon which have been also ascribed to the territory of, uh, I think it's uh, Asher. Asher, that's Naftali. right, and Naphtali. Yes, those two, two tribes have a bit of, of that bit. Um, and and he, again, he calls it the good land. And I remember a couple of weeks ago we discussed what's so good about it. It's made of rock, it doesn't rain very much, uh, and yet it's very fertile, isn't it? You shove anything in the ground here, and it grows. It's just amazing. Um, 
and that's on both sides, both in the Palestinian and the Israeli territories. You go down to the Jordan uh, Valley, you see all these beautiful crops, they're Palestinian things, but they're growing them like crazy. Um, it's, it's a good land, but good is a relative term. What's good to one person is not good to another, but doesn't matter what we think, God calls it a good land. Yeah, the bread basket of the West Bank is actually the Jordan Valley. Mm, yep, one of the lowest points on earth, and yet it's producing amazing, amazing product. Yeah. Okay, so uh, this is this good land, that uh, uh, fine hill country. But because of you, ouch, the Lord was angry with me and would not listen to me. Well, you're not, you're not, you're to blame a little bit there too, Moses. It's a bit of a, it's not quite the full story of uh, Numbers 21 there, okay? But he has a little dig at uh, the Israelites. He has struggled with them for so long. And uh, the Lord was angry with me, would not listen to me. And then you get God actually saying some very interesting words. That's enough. And the Lord says, do not speak to me on this anymore. No, we're done. The answer is no. So you may now stop praying. <laughs> okay. uh, has anyone ever heard a no from the Lord? Like as we often, in our language, we call them, the door was closed. He said, great, so why do you keep trying to open it then? There are times when God says, no, that's enough. Stop, stop praying. We're done. I'm not, not, not doing these, these, not listening to this anymore. Um, I think that the relationship between Moses and God is pretty special. Yeah. I mean... What would I give that, that kind of a relationship with God? Where you can physically and, talk to him. Yeah. Where he talks to me as a father. It's, yep. it's an easy... Including... Sorry, that's alright. Because we've got... Most of us here have got, had some kids, yes? Pardon? Most of us here have had some kids. And sometimes some of the hardest thing to say to a kid is... No. No. Right? And so we get Moses' side of the story. We always get Moses' side of the story. Um, but what's God's side of the story? Well, especially when your kids really want it and all the other kids are getting it. Yep. I mean, Moses really wants it and all the other kids are getting it. All the other kids are going to get it, yeah. And, and, you, and, and that's pretty hard to On say God's that. side, yeah. you, know, he's, you know, there's probably a part of the loving father too that goes, you know, I'd really like to let you over there, but I can't, it's not... It's not the way it works this time. Okay, it's enough. It's a stop. Yeah, you're staying with me. I'm, I've, got, I've worked out your burial plot for you. you. You'll like it. I'll like it. Everyone's going to like it. No one's going to know where it is, but they're going <laughs> to like it. <laughs> yeah, but, but it's pretty good. <laughs> okay. okay, that's enough. Lord. Do not speak to me of this anymore. Go up to the top of the Pisgah, this, this, this summit, okay? And look, and he gets to look, east, west, north, south. Okay, and uh, look at the land with your own eyes, since you are not going to cross this Jordan. And uh, there's various spots around uh, uh, Jordan where you know they would say this is probably it, or this could be it. It's not needle. Right. Various spots where uh, uh, you can see, or they'll say this is the the, the hill that that they went up, built a church there. Because okay. on a clear day, you can definitely see <laughs> can. a lot of yeah. the West Bank yeah. from there. 
Yeah. And I even think there's a, uh, some Islamic guy buried up there too, isn't there? Isn't there an Islamic shrine? I've, I've been up there, uh, I think. I've been up there, I just don't remember. No, I can't, I can't remember. <laughs> it's called cool, Mount Nebo in the end of Detroit. Right. In 32. In 32, yeah. Yeah, um, but commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he will lead this people across and will cause them to inherit the land that you will see. And so we stayed at the valley near Gebet Peor. And uh, um, the, the God says, okay, look, this, this is enough. You can view. Uh, and then after that, uh, we get on with the rest of the story, which is start, start telling Joshua to be strong and be brave. Um, although, we're only in chapter 3. Moses is going to continue this very, very long monologue to go. And as he goes, he will begin to um, uh, uh, retell, not retell some of the, the, the Torah. Uh, he will begin to make an interpretation. He'll begin to start saying, no, there's only one God. And, and he'll create some new laws for us to say, like the Shema and things like that, which we don't find in, in the first four books. He will, uh, when he starts talking about some of the ritual uh, things, like he will skip large sections of Leviticus. And he'll put God in different areas. Uh, he will retell the Ten Commandments and he'll make some changes. And he will, you know, this is now going to be very interesting what he will begin uh, to start doing. And, um, and then perhaps we'll begin to see what Moses is, uh, is, is realizing is, um, is that had we have not had Deuteronomy, we may have become quite, quite legalistic. Whereas Deuteronomy constantly keeps thrusting it to the heart. So and so was wholehearted. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart you know write these laws on your heart you know make sure that your heart doesn't doesn't dismiss sacrifices you know, they're fine but it has to make sure that they're with the right intention that they come with a heart and so it's a, an incredible book because if you don't have this wow man you Leviticus suddenly gets very hard to keep but once you get Deuteronomy Leviticus gets a little easier Maybe a little bit read. Yes, yes, I know. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. And maybe it's foreshadowing to the New Testament because we all know that without the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. nobody can have a circumcised heart. Right. <laughs> and yet that's so. What, even though he's preaching to the Israelites, yeah, you gotta because he'll say circumcise your heart. Yeah. Well, remember the people that he's standing in front of—they're not circumcised at all. Yeah. Right. They'll, they'll, when they cross into Jordan. Joshua chapter 5, they'll circumcise themselves. So they're not circumcised in front of him. So he could have said, now you all know from Leviticus, you're supposed to, supposed to slice this little bit here. Uh, so get cracking. But he doesn't. He says, circumcise your heart. That's actually really what God wants. You'll do this other thing too. I get it. Joshua will do it with you when you get over there. He's not saying don't do that. But what he is saying is don't ever, ever, ever forget the heart issue. Before Christ, whoever had salvation is whoever believed in the coming Messiah. It's right. It wasn't. No, no. no. It was or, but there are people that are saved that they prior to. Christ. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So they had the, 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 what got you salvation 
was believing in the coming Messiah. No, 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 no. no. no just having a relationship. Yes, just having a relationship with well, God. Well, 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 the yeah. Lord says to Abraham, walk before me and be perfect. He did, more or less, walk before yeah. him you know, in integrity. And, yeah. Yeah, he Noah, that's all, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that um, uh, belief in Messiah as a creed in Jewish tradition is really late. It's, it's Maimonides. He's the one that writes down the creed. Oh, that Anima Amin Hamashiach. I believe in the days of the Messiah. And uh, he who does not believe in the day, days of the Messiah does not have a place in the world to come. That is 12th century. That is, that is, that is 1,200 years after Jesus. Yeah, prior to that, it was, a, it was a relationship with God. That's what you're going to find here. And a relationship was based on loving God with all your heart. Yes, uh, indeed. Wasn't when Jesus was eight days old and the guy picked him up and he did. saw salvation? And, yeah. But yeah. I uh, thought maybe I need to. Oh, yeah. Well, it's just a, it's a modern uh, Christian uh, reinterpretation of the past. I wouldn't do that. I would say just let the past be the past, which oh, is have a relationship with God. God. And particularly here, he's going to stress that it's a heart relationship. He's not going to dismiss not going to dismiss the other uh, laws, because otherwise you could easily do that. You could have just said, everyone here, chapter 4, Deuteronomy, stop reading Leviticus. <laughs> but that's not, he's going to, this is, this is, make sure you keep your heart right. Let me ask you a question. He, he said in verse 27 that God told him to go on to the top of uh, Pisgah. Pisgah, yeah. yeah. Pisgah is a hill. And, and look west, north, south, and east. So had he already done it at this point? Because he's telling people that this is what God's told him to do. Or did he do it at the end when he died? Don't know. I just wondered if he's done. I always thought he did this at the very end. And then, and then he died. Yeah, I know. But he evidently has been told before. Yes. Or he wouldn't be telling Correct. And, and it could, he could have been that he did it before he died. Because if you walk someone toward a mountain and dies, the logical conclusion would be, oh, that's where his grave is. Um, uh, although, it is interesting that uh, in 2 Maccabees, um, Jeremiah, it's recorded, again, it could, don't know why they say this, that that's where Jeremiah hid the tabernacle. The Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, sorry, yeah, he hid the Ark of the Covenant in the, in the, in the, in the, with the body of Moses. So, somehow, just as a tradition, Jeremiah knew, knew where it was. Bizarre. You're talking about the... Uh, the Shema. Yeah. So maybe at the burning bush, Moses wasn't at the point where he loved God with all his heart. And so maybe it took until it gets to uh, Deuteronomy that it's in with his heart. Possible. And he's able to say it. This is what we'll be able to tell about. Well, that's a guess. I don't know. Well, no, that's a pretty good guess. Because what, what does Moses know about God? Prior to the burning bush, not much, right? It's he's you know, he's not reading Genesis, right? You know, um, he has been living in Midian, which is a pagan territory. He's married a pagan wife. He's raising, um, according to tradition, he's been there forty years. The kid's eighty years old, right? And uh, and and um, now suddenly he actually encounters the Lord, and uh, it has to go back and fight the most powerful ruler of the known world. Um, 
so yeah, he's beginning his journey, but he begins his journey in a very uh, interesting place. He knows nothing, or very little. Yeah, but he became very meek within those 40 years. Very. <laughs> and I think that's the reason why God used him. Is yeah. Blessed are the meek, for they yes. shall inherit the, the yeah. earth. So, I, think he, I think they passed those promises on. You know, his parents were godly parents. I, I can't think of anybody's raised three more famous children. <laughs> you know, Jacobed and Amran. I really admire those. And, and she's only mentioned one time, I really admire her as a mother. But, uh, <laughs> But, but I believe they believe those promises, and I think Moses, you know, murdered that one man, yeah. you know, knowing that, hey, they should be looking up to me now as, you know, the Savior, you know, because this promise through Abraham and all that, yeah. you know, it just wasn't God's time. You know. Right. And that's why I think we should come back next week, because chapter 4 is full of who this God is, and Good. Moses has learned so much about him. Right. He starts his career knowing very little, and now he's had 38 years, 40 years of it. Yeah. And he's had, he's had, there's probably been more conversations with Moses and God, which are not recorded here. Times where he and Aaron probably went into the tabernacle and had a, had a good praise session and a good yarn and a good listen, a good listen from God, which is you know, one of the things I like in the current liturgy. So we'll start our worship by listening. Speak, Lord. I'm not going to talk now. Not my voice, but yours. Well, he frequently went into that tent and that cloud covered, you know, showing the God was in there. Yeah, we talking to him, yeah. I yeah. had some conversations. Yeah. Another question. What do you think of the tradition that uh, Jethro was... Uh, uh, he, he understood God. He, was, he feared God because later on when... Uh, he comes to Moses, he tells him how, you know, come on, here's how you should organize the, your, uh, the people so you don't have to work so hard. Yeah. And some, uh, some traditions say that Jethro was somewhat of a God-fearer, although he was, you know, a, a priest of Midian, yeah. What do you think of that? Uh, good question. There's, I've studied actually this portion, and the portion is actually this week's portion. Um, it's called Yitro, and it, uh, it's the only parasha of the Hebrew Bible that starts, it's, it's, it's named after a pagan, and it has the Ten Commandments in it. I mean, that's, each parasha is called something, and so the parasha that has the Ten Commandments in it is, is named after a pagan, after a non-Jew, after a goy. You go, no, why is that? What is God teaching me about this? Who is this man? Why is he so special that he gets to have the Ten Commandments in his portion? Um, why couldn't you wait for somebody else? You know? uh, or at least just call the portion the Ten Commandments. You know? uh, but, but that's, uh, it's an interesting question. Who is he? Why does he know God? Why does it start the passage coming? Uh, it says, Jethro heard all the things God was doing. How did, how did he hear? Was, did God talk to him? Was he communicating with the spirit world in some way? How does Abraham know how to talk to God prior to talking to God? You know, these, these, that's, we don't know some of these things. We will learn one day. We will ask him and uh, probably be very surprised by the answers. Well, we gave him all of Genesis to write down, obviously, right? 
Uh, yeah, well, he, God had to. Well, he, he's, <laughs> in, he's inheriting. It depends on you know. You're, if you believe that you know, the spirit took him and he just sort of wrote out, okay, that's fine. Um, or that they had uh, handed down these oral stories. You know that while they were sitting in in Egypt for 400 years, they were telling each other the stories again and again and again around the campfire. Let me tell you the one about uh, a wandering nomad called Abraham and how we all got here. Let me tell you about how he nearly sacrificed his son and learning and learning those kind of things. So, what about the creation of the world? Yeah, yeah and the creation of the world. But Genesis chapter 1, unlike pretty well every other chapter in the Bible, it looks like the work of God. Yeah. yeah. It's so... Simple and elegant, and so profound at the same time. Yes. That it's hard to imagine any, and it it's so profound, but it's one of the easiest chapters in the Bible to translate because all the root words are so simple and they're common to all languages. Yeah, it's true. And it says so much with so yeah. few words. Yeah. It's just yeah. like, and, and it's yeah. very old Hebrew. And it has the hallmark of being yeah. not the same as the rest of the Genesis. Yeah, because lots of the lots of the words have only got two two shorishes. And like that's that's old language. Like modern Hebrew, you've now got most Three. four actually. Like to mumble, lemon mel, they keep creating these new verbs, and they've all got four. I think in Arabic it's mainly three. Yeah, it's an old uh, the middle Hebrew. The, what the, the that's, that's three. Yeah. That's three. And but old old Hebrew is what two? Like blood, dumb. Yeah. You know, religious ish. Yeah. So old old Hebrews are too, and you get into Genesis, and it's two 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 everywhere. You go, wow, this is old stuff. It's very old stuff. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, brothers and sisters, great. Next week we will begin to discover the character of God a little bit more, as Moses begins to reveal him to us and to the people. Uh, thank you very much for wrestling uh, Og down to the ground and taking all his stuff. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.